Welcome back to the 573 Podcast. I'm your host today, Stephen Ebers. Today we have a fun and interesting topic of discussion with a different perspective from the hunting world, and that is taxidermy. Today we're joined by Grant Volrath of GV Taxidermy out of Monroe City, Missouri. And uh, we talk about an assortment of things. So first we start talking about you know, what's going on in the whitetail woods and uh, what we're seeing. And uh, maybe we give you some insight that can help you currently and, and what's going on in the woods and looking for those deer. Um, also, we move on to, to actual taxidermy and, and we start talking about the process, you know, how, how Grant got into taxidermy and, you know, some cool or, or crazy things that he's seen while he's been a taxidermist. And uh, then we move on to, you know, kind of the responsibilities of a hunter and, and what they should do with their trophy animal before they take it to the taxidermist. That way, they don't ruin it. And I think that's super important because a lot of guys and gals out there might not know. And uh, that that's that's really an important thing to, to cover because, you know, we don't want your trophy animal to be ruined because of something that you didn't know you had to do before sending it to the taxidermist. So there's a lot of other great information in this podcast, and I hope you guys enjoy it as much as I did. Um, I will, will guys, update you about how the podcast and where it's going. We are, uh, we are currently trying to get it on Apple Podcasts and Spotify just so we can have a variety of ways to get it out to the public. I know, you know it hasn't been that easy listening to it on Podbean from what I'm for the feedback that I'm getting anyways so we're currently trying to get that done and once we get that done we'll we'll get the information out to you guys so that you know that it's on other platforms as well um, with all that being said uh, let's get into it all right we're uh, gearing up we're kind of uh, clo- getting close to the heart of the season are you guys getting busy um yeah I've gotten about five deer in so far this year uh mostly shoulder mounts so you know i've been hearing a lot of people seeing some pretty good deer movement and i myself have as well so i feel like uh it'd be a shit storm once the uh once the deer season starts for a taxidermist are you able to get out in the woods um being my second year so far, it's hasn't been too hard to be able to get out there still, you know, try to get most of my stuff done during the day. I could go out in the morning and come straight here afterwards, get some stuff done, then go back home and go out in the evening and come back and, you know, work till late if I want to. But in my second year, like I said, it hasn't really been much trouble to try to get out still. Yeah. Well, have you been able, I mean, how many times do you think you've got out this year? Um, I'd only went one time, I think, in the first two weeks, mm-hmm. but uh, then I had seen a buck on trail camera that got me going out oh. a few more times, so. There you go. Yeah, had a shed from him last year, so really on that one. So uh, what are you seeing in the woods right now? Um, mostly, I mean, the stand that I've been hunting, it's kind of in a finger and there's two ponds on each side of the finger and 
they usually travel from pond to pond each side and then come down through this finger and kind of just sit at the very end where we it's basically right where I have my bow stand and uh, I've been seeing all of them funnel down towards this creek and there's a lot of acorn trees down there and they're just heavy on the acorns right now it seems like I've watched two bucks fight a couple nights ago so that was pretty cool pretty young ones but it was still yeah. neat to watch yeah they're they're gearing up they don't even know they're just uh they're, they're young and just like any other any other guy young and dumb and ready to go that's right <laughs> so uh i it's kind of funny you mentioned about the acorns uh and and how ironic it is that we set up this podcast uh probably a month in advance and so i came up here and then I ended up shooting a buck last night. Um, it it was heavy, heavy acorn dropping. I, I had never been to this spot before, and uh, you know, I was seeing a lot, uh, a couple of scrapes, and so I was had this gut feeling that I needed to set up on this hot sign. I, I had originally e scouted the property. I'd never really hunted it before, and um, whenever I saw where I wanted to go. I hadn't even got to the spot yet, and uh, ended up being a big scrape. I thought it was man-made, literally, because the grass I was hunting in was like prairie grass. They use it for cows to feed on, so I figured, you know, how the heck is a deer going to shovel through all this grass to make that scrape? But, you know, I, I stuck with my gut feeling, and... Uh, and it paid off in dividends. Definitely so. paid off for you, <laughs> yeah, without man. a doubt. So, so not only we get to do a podcast, we get to bring you a buck. Too. Yeah, yeah. Like you said, we planned this out a month, Shoot. a month ago, probably month, month and a half. And then you tell me, send me a snap last night, and say, "Yeah, I'm gonna go hunt tonight. New place you never hunted before, or anything." And nope, never. I stepped foot on the property, put a camera out because I just got permission to it, and then uh, I didn't even get to check the camera. But I just it set up good for the wind, and I and I saw a little pinch on the map that uh, I wanted to set up in. Obviously, didn't make it to the pinch, and uh, which is fine with me because it turned out to be okay. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, it being early October, been seeing a lot of movement. I don't know about you, but that cold front that hit last weekend was just big. I don't know. Did you see anything out in the woods? Yeah. And one of my big things lately has been with, you know, trying to find the right times to go out there and finding the times that I need to get a lot done uh, in the shop. Uh, I've been solely going off a deer cast, to be completely honest. I've been watching like the barometer pressure, that cold front coming through, I knew it would help for sure. Um, I've been watching for about 15 mile per hour wind movement yeah. out of the north and then going out immediately as soon as it changes to the south. And all of those days that I've been doing that, I've been seeing more deer movement than I honestly ever have seen bow hunting, nice. just constant. So a lot of does though, I mean, well, haven't really got on the bucks yet, but I did, uh, Monday night, I did finally see a pretty good eight pointer. Yeah, man. I, I tell you, I've been hunting 
so I got married in September 18th and so my early season and opening day was crushed but you know weddings are kind of more important <laughs> yeah so, uh, once in a lifetime thing hopefully yeah and uh, congrats again on that too appreciate it appreciate it and uh, so you know I didn't get out a little bit I think my first sit was September 22nd and I wasn't seeing any sign in any spots that I was on. I was trying to hunt some green food sources. I went and even, you know, checked out a little bit deeper dive into the woods, probably, I want to say October 1st. I, I, I dove in and looked for sign and didn't see jack squat. And, uh, but I ended up setting anyways because I didn't have any time to look anywhere else. And no movement. But, I mean, if you're finding hot sign right now, you need to be setting up over it because it's probably where they're at. You know what I mean? I completely agree. Yeah. 100%. And, uh, and you know, last night it paid off to, to set up over it. I'm glad I didn't push farther because, man, I was 50-50. I was like, should I keep going to where I think I should be or should I just be where – and that's the thing. You've got to be where they're at. And so – I was like, okay, I'll just stay. I just, this is the first time I've ever been here. I'll just hunt it a little conservatively and, and hunt this scrape. And when I see, when I say conservatively, I was probably in the middle of the property. So, I mean, it wasn't that conservative. Um, but, uh, well, now that I brought you a buck, you know, I got to find out a little bit more about this taxidermy stuff. So Yeah, absolutely. First things first, man, I just want to know, how, how did you even get into taxidermy? Um, I would say several years back, I mean, like I told you, I grew up, I, sh I shot my first deer at six years old. Ever since then, I just loved hunting, loved everything about it. And uh, about 16, I'd finally gotten my first buck that I was able to take to a taxidermist. And whenever I got in there, I they had mounts everywhere. I started looking around and I just thought it was the coolest thing. And I'd always kind of had this artistic side growing up, always looked at detail and all that kind of stuff. Like uh, anything with drawing or painting or anything like that. It was, it was kind of weird, but I just always really enjoyed that kind of stuff. And I thought maybe, you know, getting to see all my buddies deer and all these deer from everywhere else and whatever else could maybe be brought to me that being doing taxidermy would be something I'd really enjoy and something I could really get into and hopefully one day be successful. Well, you, uh, you're here. So, um, you know, I'm looking right here at the wall and, and things are looking pretty good. Are a lot of these your buddies that you know and and you got to kind of live out the, the little fantasy you had? Yeah, and uh, these two are actually from a buddy in town. Like I said, I went and got that one before you got here so I could have something else to show you on the wall. But uh, Yeah, this bobcat we're looking at, would you consider this a pedestal now? Uh, it's a wall habitat scene. Gotcha. Well, it is fantastic. I mean, I'm actually a little bit worried this bobcat might 
might get me. <laughs> Not gonna lie. Well, I appreciate it, man. No, yeah. that was a that was actually my first customer Bobcat, and I couldn't have been happier with it. I got four more, I believe, to do yet this year. They're all full bodies, and I have one that I believe is the last one I'm gonna do. It's a 26 pound bobcat and uh, whenever I'm pulling it out of the freezer in there to kind of move some stuff around I have a few coyotes in there and it's bigger than all the coyotes that are in the freezer as well so well I mean that got to make you feel comfortable going out into the whitetail woods yeah (laughs) no kidding bad boys are around um so speaking of cool things besides this bobcat mount what's the coolest thing that you've uh that you've mounted or seen in taxidermy? Um, I would say one project I'm getting ready to work on uh, is gonna be an albino squirrel. And I have it all tanned and everything, planning on actually working on it this week. Uh, yeah, it's an albino squirrel. I got red, reddish, pink eyes with it and everything yeah it's i actually got it uh last year and finally getting around to it and pretty excited to do it but i have something else that somebody's supposed to be bringing me this week or next week um he had texted me it's one of my buddies uh he had texted me he just got done with a bear hunt and he texts me and says, would you like to do a bear mount? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. He's like, well, it's going to be a full body. And I was oh, like, wow. even better. That's awesome, man. And he's like, well, you know, on top of that, it also only has three legs. And I'm like, are you serious? And <laughs> he sends me a picture and he's got this bear. He has the trail camera pictures and everything of it. And this bear is missing one of its front legs. So he's wanting this, and it even looks like it's just has the fur going straight across that spot. Like it just doesn't have a front leg. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. Did you think it was an injury or a birth defect? It really, to me, it looked like a birth defect, but yeah, it looks crazy. Oh, that's wild. I couldn't believe it. I can't wait to see the finished product. Yeah, he's a... He's wanting me to do full body on it, like I said, and then uh, incorporate a few fish with it as well as a full like habitat scene, kind yeah. of. That'll be cool, man. That'll yeah. Be real cool. Uh, any any other cool cool taxidermy stuff? I know I know there's probably a ton you get to see. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot I've seen. Uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully in the future, which only two years in i haven't expected to get anything really crazy to work on yet but uh no i have a feeling in the future i might be doing some crazy stuff i thought uh something i saw on on your uh facebook or something was uh you did like a fox rug or something like that oh the coyote rug oh was it coyote the yeah, recent coyote. one yeah yeah that uh, was sweet yeah the Coyote rug was one. Uh, it's not something you see every day. Yeah, once they, once they told me that that's what they wanted and everything, I got it all tan and got to where I was started working on it. And 
as everything was coming together, I was like, wow, I've, I've never seen a coyote rug or even really heard of one, but no, it, it turned Let's out pretty it. neat. Yeah, it was, it was pretty it turned cool. out really good, man. Thank you. Did, did he, I guess he come and got it? Yeah, he actually, shit. he actually just got it last week, ah, so shoot. he just missed it. Ah. Well, uh, what have you found to be the hardest animal to work with so far? Turkeys, without a doubt. That, I believe, that's the only one that I've done so far. And the amount of different supplies that you use to put in it and then fleshing a turkey hide, it, it might sound weird, but uh, you flesh it with like a, a wire wheel bench grinder and you flesh all the fat off around the quills. You'll take the whole turkey hide and you'll soak it in camp gasoline, campfire gasoline. What? And it takes, it separates all the fat from the skin and it separates it into that white gas. Wow. So it takes all of that off of there, then you'll finish the tanning process, just kind of speed it up, but uh, so, yeah. So the, uh, the feathers, you don't ever like, so when you're doing the flesh, you don't actually, I mean, how do you keep those feathers on? I just can't imagine, that'd be a mess. The thing is, is the, quills are pretty well stuck in there if mm -hmm. the really the only way that they're falling out is if the wire wheel is really rubbed down on that spot to where it made a hole mm -hmm. to where those quills could fall out otherwise all those feathers that you see up there that are kind of stuck in place it's they're so strongly held in there that if i were to take one of those feathers and pull it down it would just snap right back into place so yeah, it's not really an issue, but uh, halfway through working on them, you just have this wad of skin and feathers that you just swear is not going to look like anything like a turkey once you're done with it. I can imagine. <laughs> I, what I can't imagine is how, how you can get it to, to look like it does, because it, it looks just like a turkey, you know what I mean? It just, I just don't, don't know how. Yeah, I, no, I... I know exactly where you're coming from because whenever I got started on it, I was telling my teacher the same thing. I couldn't believe that this is actually going to look like a turkey and all this stuff. And it's pretty cool. You get the mold, the cast of a head and put it on there. And some people will do it freeze dry, use the actual head and freeze dry it. But that's a casted turkey head and you just go through and start airbrushing it and use some chalks and glue some of the real hairs back onto the snood and just try to make it come back to life. Yeah, it brings us back to that artistic mindset you got, man, because yeah. it really does. Uh, yeah, and uh, my wife's got, she killed a turkey three or four years ago, still in the freezer, and it probably had two or three beards, so we'll be eventually getting that one mounted. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully it's still good. I mean, freezing for that long, but uh, all right. So now I want to kind of educate our listeners a little bit because I think it's important that you know it's taxidermy is hard, man, and and not only that, 
if you had never killed a deer to get mounted, you might not know the process of everything that goes into it, and it might be worth noting, you know? So my next question is, what is the process to shoulder mount a deer? And uh, we'll just start with the hunter just shot his trophy buck. What does he or she do next? Um, I would say the first thing would definitely be, which this is for them, uh, once they kill it, if they know that they're not going to go to their local taxidermist within the next day, if you shot it the day before, go the next day, um, I would try to get it caped out. If you don't know how to, um, either ask a friend or call me or even Google it if you want to, and then get that thing in the freezer as soon as possible, without a doubt. Um, that keeps the meat from you know, getting warm, causing bacteria to open up the hair follicles in the skin. That allows the hair to start falling out and uh, can become a real disaster. And then you're looking for a new cape. But uh, the next thing I would do is they bring it to me. I'll skin it out from the skull. Mm. I'll get it all skinned out. I'll cut the rack off the skull and I'll get that cape stored away until it's time to work on it. And then once it is time to work on it, I'll get it back out, get it all fleshed, salt it. Um, fleshing it, basically, I just have to get all the meat off of it. Um, then you have to turn the ears, turn the lips, and then turn the eyes. What do you mean by turning? And turning them, uh, basically what I mean is the ear you will actually turn the whole ear inside out by slowly using a scalpel knife and cutting away skin that allows you to flip that ear inside out wow. and the reason for that is just like the rest of it there's meat, in there. meat and flesh in there that could eventually you know cause hair slippage from the deer and the final mount so interesting yeah same I would thing thought about the lips. That. You could completely lose all the hair around the mouth and everything. It's very important step. But uh, how long does that usually take somebody to do? That's um, just in your position. Once once I have the whole thing fleshed out, uh, the whole turning process might take me like thirty minutes. I don't I don't really know for sure, but. Uh, I don't know, it, it'll usually take me about an hour to do all that before I can get it onto the salt table. The salt table where I start to salt it, I'll use a fine stock salt. Um, that stock salt absorbs all the blood and grease kind of out of that hide and really dries it up. That actually kind of helps lock the hair into the hide. So I'll usually let that sit for about 24 hours, usually at least 24 hours. Sometimes I'll go a little bit longer. Like the other day I had one that was pretty bloody for some reason. Um, I just kept having blood, you know, even drip, drip off of the salt table and just kept salting it, trying to get it to dry out. And 
after that, then I'll put it in to what I call the pickle. It's, it's called a, the tanning process for that is called a pickle. Hmm. Uh, what the pickle is, is I have a bunch of trash barrels set up in my room and I'll fill that trash barrel up. So for example, if a deer hide weighs about eight pounds or so, then I'll fill that trash barrel up with eight gallons of water. And then I'll put about six and a half to seven pounds of salt in there, which is the same fine stock salt. And then I'll put about three ounces of oxalic acid and all that together once you put the hide in there you leave it in there for 72 hours and that helps completely preserve all the meat and everything else that is still left on the skin so that you have a completely preserved hide that's not going to lose any more hair and that's basically it until I get it back out again and start fleshing it. And uh, after basically five days of it sitting in there and taking it out occasionally to flesh it, I'll uh, put it in another chemical called Lutan F and I'll let it sit in there for about 16 to 17 hours. And then, which actually before that, I have to neutralize it because the oxalic acid makes the pH levels go down to about 1.5. And then once I put the lutein in there and neutralize it with baking soda, I bring it up to about 4.5. And then with the lutein, I bring it back down to 3.7. And so what you're telling me is that uh, you're not only an artist, you're a chemist. A chemist, yes, both. Jeez. <laughs> But yeah, it's whenever I was learning it, I was like, man, this is crazy. I, I'm never going to remember all this. And uh, it's after doing several deer now, it's just, I go in there and start pouring all the stuff into the barrel. And it's, that's that. I mean, once you're done with the lutein and you get it out, you dry it off and then paint some, uh, tanning oil on it. Mm -hmm. You'll paint that tanning oil on it and let it sit overnight and you have a tan cape you maybe shave on it a little bit more and it's basically ready to put onto a form and mount it but uh yeah it's it's definitely a process and all of that can kind of help you know why it might take a while for for a, that's just one animal that's just one and yeah. you know it's I'm doing that with every single one of them. And once I get bigger and can afford to send all my capes off to a tannery that... Is that what most, most taxidermists do? Yeah, once basically once you get to a certain point, kind of look for a certain number of deer, uh, be able to ship all those off and they'll actually ship all of them back to you with all of that being done. So you're actually just mounting stuff all the time, hmm. which is definitely what I want to get to because yeah. the, I don't, I don't really want to just keep tanning, you know, stuff all the time because it's not really what's making you the money. Sure. Sure. Um, 
So what might you tell a hunter to avoid so he doesn't mess up, he or she doesn't mess up their mount before they actually get it to you, as far as a deer goes? Um, like I said at the beginning uh, of the whole mounting process, uh, the biggest thing is after you kill the deer, I mean, usually have about a day before you really need to be getting it into the freezer. Um, and then once it's in the freezer, I mean, it's, it's truly not hurting anything. I mean, I have, my teacher had, uh, deer capes that had been in the freezer with, you know, the meat and everything on them, but they were caped out and just sitting in the freezer for years, you know, for students to use whenever they come through. And, uh, yeah, this basically getting them into the freezer is the absolute main thing and then definitely want to try to figure out the best way which i know sometimes you might shoot a deer and it runs down into thick timber and down into a ditch and everything but you really want to try to get that deer out of there without dragging it or you know dragging it behind a four-wheeler or anything like that because it can take a majority of the hair off and I can't make it look as good as it possibly could with that being hair done gone. to it. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, what's it do? Just like pull all the hair out? Yeah, it it really it really just completely rubs the hair off of it and you can see a deer's hair, you know, is like the brown, light brown color that you see, maybe darker brown, but yeah. once patches are rubbed off, that brown color is really just down to the tips of the hairs. So when a lot of those hairs are rubbed off, the base of those hairs are gray. So those wow. spots that are rubbed down, you'll really just see a lot of gray patches. It's not going to be, you know, just bare down to the skin, but it's, you're definitely going to notice a difference in it. Okay. And another thing I've, I've also learned is sometimes you're going to see deer that already have a pretty bad bear spot kind of right behind their neck, maybe closer to the middle of their back. Yeah. And that's normally caused from the deer actually crawling under fences and the fence actually continues to rub off the hair on their back. and. You know, if that's one of their normal routes, then they're going to have a bare spot right on the top of their back. So nothing you can avoid there. No, no, not at all. So, well, that I mean, that's a pretty good tip. So if you're seeing a lot of your deer, you know, with rubber backs every year, you need to find that fence crossing. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah, what I cut mean? Cut that thing down. <laughs> well, you cut it down. <laughs> cut it down, make, make, make it easier, but definitely hunt up over it. Uh, so what should a guy or gal ask a taxidermist or know before getting work done, you know, so that they can get the best work done? Um, really, it's just all about what your own opinion is, uh, what, what you really want to be able to see in the work of a deer if you're wanting to really see uh, the shapes of the eyes be very symmetrical or if you're really into how the finish like nose work looks or I don't know it's it's usually from 
other customers has just been preferences of different points that they really want the detail done so to. you're telling me it takes a little bit of experience once you've brought them in a couple times you kind of know what you're looking for because i tell you when i when i brought mine in for the first time i just was hoping that it was going to be a good mount you know i didn't really know what to look for you know yeah and my main thing uh, like i said i I'd, I'd taken uh, deer to taxidermist long before I ever decided to actually get into it. I had four different deer shoulder mounted by another taxidermist and I never noticed any sort of details until I went to taxidermy school and actually learned kind of the anatomy of, of a deer and how things should actually look. Yeah. Yeah, so now you're just sitting there staring at your mouths like, oh, I could have done this, I could have done that. <laughs> Absolutely. I always, with every deer that I do, I always think about, you know, what what can I do a little differently to make it look a lot more realistic within the, the next one that I do or so that any leads that me, kind of stuff. Leads me to my next one. Uh, what, what details... You know separate an average taxidermist from one that bring that can bring the animal back to life you know we'll just use the white-tailed deer because that's kind of what we've been going off of yeah um i know you mentioned something about the eyes and the nose anything else yeah uh one of the things that i really learned with the eyes um after you know even watching competition white-tailed dvds for taxidermy any any types of videos like that for competition work can really help you realize the detail and amount and what they should actually look like but uh one thing i found out was all the way around that eye um one thing one little detail is sticking a brush down in between the glass eye and the clay mm -hmm. and rolling the brush over the clay continuously all the way around the eye because everything around that eye needs to just flow right into it to make it a little bit more realistic. And the other biggest thing is, which where the artistry comes into is the airbrushing around it, you know, picking the correct paints. Um, one, one thing that I kind of figured out was instead of just using a dark brown paint to do all the way around the eyes and the eyelids is making a you know flesh pink flow down into the down into the eye and around the eyelids and then maybe putting a, another color over top of it mixing different colors into it is just making trying to imagine what types of colors would look exactly like a reference photo that you'd maybe find online or of a real life deer. I mean, you really just want to obviously try to make it look exactly like that. Yeah, yeah. What about, uh, so the eyes seem to be pretty important. Yes, and I, I would say with about everything, that's gonna be your most important thing is mainly with these bobcats that I've been working on. I know that the eyes can just about destroy a whole bobcat mount if they're not done correctly. 
Well, the one, like I said, the one that we're looking at looks like it's about to eat us, so <laughs> I think he did all right with that. Pretty pissed off Bobcat right there. Yeah, he ain't happy, which, I mean, if you had to stand there your whole life, you probably wouldn't be either. <laughs> uh, so was, is there any other details that maybe would separate besides the eyes? Yeah, definitely uh, the nose. I'll take, I'll take a real life cast from a you know a, a deer specimen, and I'll post that kind of on some needles right into the foam on top of that nose, and have it kind of stationed right above that nose, so I can see how to carve out the deer mold because that mold won't be you know just completely ready to mount unless you don't really care about the details and it's I mean you could go ahead and start mounting it but uh, I will completely carve out the nostrils and try to make them look as realistic as possible before I actually mount the deer um, then once I'm done I'll use a gloss on top of the nose and I have a bottle with a needle on it with the gloss that I use and it's just a modge podge type deal and mm -hmm. put dots all over the nose that you know kind of make it look like it has a still has a wet shiny nose and more of a realistic detail than just you know painting it black and then saying that's good for the day yeah so I guess I mean not only the the artwork that you're talking about but just the mold itself you have to kind of conform to make it look like the actual buck that do you ever do that do you ever just like look at the guy that sent you the uh the buck look at his pictures of when he killed the deer and, and try to mimic some of that yeah um a lot of times if it's you know a bigger deer that you might have a little bit more muscle showing in it or if it's an early season buck um, you know, a lot shorter hair, shows a lot more mes muscle definition. Um, I'll try to build up some of that muscle with epoxy and clay and stuff like that to try to get it to really show through the cape, like just like it would if you were watching it out in the field, you know, while you're hunting or anything. Oh, that's sweet. But uh, yeah, and I mean, and another thing that I learned that I thought really helped with some of my shoulder mounts was as soon as I was done mounting the deer, once it was kind of dry, I would take shampoo and I would shampoo the entire mount, and get it real wet, even though, you know, I could have basically just been done with it and just left it at that. I would shampoo the whole mount and then take a blower and start blowing all the hair. And the thing is, is, combing all the hair downwards just like if a deer was standing out in the field and the gravity pulls its hair downwards combing all that hair back down instead of just straight back oh, okay. towards the wall combing all that hair down and fluffing it up kind of kind of made a lot of my mounts look a lot better you know any of them with like thicker hair you can't really tell as much in an early season buck with shorter hair oh, yeah. but yeah definitely any of the gun season kills you can definitely well 
Man, I appreciate you coming on and kind of giving us a, a taste of the taxidermy. You know, it, it's a, a big part of, of hunting that I don't think a lot of people think about too much, but you see it all, man. There's there's so much to, to look at in here and just admire. You know what I mean? There's a lot of big deer being killed around here yeah, that nobody absolutely. knows about. You know, just really cool stuff. And uh, before we get off here, I just want to know, um, how can how can people reach you? Um, I have an account on Instagram and Facebook. Those are usually the two that I will post all of my pictures on. Yeah. Um, you can text me or call me anytime if you have any questions. My number is 573-822-8282. Um, I mean... Do you know what your Facebook and... Uh um Instagram can, names are on Facebook you can just type in GV taxidermy and should pop up um, my Instagram I'm not positive what my <laughs> at is but you should be able to just type in GV taxidermy on that as well and find me but uh yeah I mean right on. give right me on. a shout whenever anybody has any questions and Definitely. I'd be glad to answer them Definitely, and uh, he does great work, guys. Uh, I've I've sent three bucks to him already now, and just been fantastic. I'm really happy with with everything he's done. Um, well, guys, it's what is it? October seventh, and uh, you know we're getting into the heart of the season, and so you know time's going to be a little bit more consuming. So not as many podcasts are probably going to come out, but uh, we'll try to keep updates about what's going on in the woods. As much as we can, I'm actually heading out for an elk trip in October 17th. So, you know, uh, not a lot of service in Wyoming. I don't think, you know, I guess I haven't been out there, so I don't know. <laughs> but I imagine in the backcountry probably won't be a lot of service. But uh, we'll be we'll be doing a, a podcast soon, and uh, we'll talk about you know the a bunch of the 573 guys had a lot of success out west in colorado and wyoming and I, and I hope to have the same amount of success whenever i get back so we'll keep you all updated and i appreciate you all listening and uh tune in for the next one thanks